0: just took a drink of water because when you get up here, one, I'm always nervous when I get up here and speak, and your mouth gets dry um, when you come and speak, and you might notice how big my bottle of water is, and it might start making you nervous that I have an awful lot to say today, <laughs> and you would be right. No, I will do our best to, uh, to get us out, out of here on time, but there is a great passage that we are studying This morning, we're continuing our study in Romans, so if you would, would you open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 2 and follow along with me as I read our verses that we're going to study today. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teaches who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law and will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, What an honor it is just to be able to come together. What an honor it is to be able to worship you and to glorify you as a body, as a church. Dear Lord, what an honor it is and what a true blessing it is to have your word before us. And dear Lord, what a responsibility we have because of that. Dear Lord, as we study this passage this morning let us never forget that ultimately it is a heart issue and it's a relationship issue with you. Dear Lord, may we take it to heart May we have that personal relationship with you as our Savior, as our God, as the one who has given us such a gracious gift so undeserved and it was the only way in which we could be with you. Dear Lord, thank you for that gift. Thank you for this time. Help us set aside any distractions we might have as we study your word and plant it upon ourselves and on our hearts. And it's in Jesus Christ, our Savior's name, that we pray. Amen. All right. So, those were some easy passages just to dive into, right, that, that uh, I always, always accuse Todd of doing this on purpose that he leaves me with verses like this to sit there and go through. But the fact of the matter is, once you start studying and once you start preparing for a lesson, a couple of things happen. One, you quickly realize how much you appreciate Todd, right? And what he goes through and what he does in preparing each and every week to bring a lesson before you. And I certainly am no substitute for Todd. The other thing that you realize quickly is, I realize all the time, is... I never have enough time to prepare. As I go through and I study, it's one of those wonderful things that you learn so much in preparing. And I've told my Bible fellowship group this same thing, is really it is, I get so much out of it by preparing a lesson. I learn so much. And you know, when I came in this morning, I I think it might have been Hud who said, welcome preacher, (laughs) or something like that. And you know, I kind of, again, that doesn't help, Hud. It just makes me more nervous. (laughs) But I don't like to think of it as preaching. Also, in reality, I don't like to really think of what I'm doing up here as teaching either. What I like to think of it is you're getting to witness me verbally espouse what I've learned. And sometimes that little process that you're going to have to go through with me as we learn what Matt has learned today is not necessarily a pretty sight. So bear with me as we go through this and we talk about what I got out of this lesson and hopefully it is something that we all can sit there and learn together. So a quick recap of where we are. Um, we're in Obviously, we're in Romans and we've already covered a couple of different groups. Up to this point in time, Paul has pointed out a couple of different groups of people before we get to this one. As you'll recall, the first one would have been probably the pagans who really didn't know, had never been exposed to God's word, didn't, did, has, have not been exposed to who God really is. But as Paul points out, that really is no excuse, right? That's really no excuse for them not understanding that there is God. It's all around them, right? That was the beautiful verse that's in Romans That talks about everything that's around you. His creation is out there, and it serves as a witness to who God is and to God. And so they really don't have an excuse, but what did the pagans do? They went on ahead and created their own gods. They created it out of animals, they created it out of figurines, they created all sorts of things other than the Creator Himself. And then last week, Todd talked about another group of people who, even though they may be Gentiles, they do have a moral basis, if you will. They do understand right from wrong. They do know that, you know, like murder is bad and that you shouldn't murder. But they get their righteousness through what is called self-righteousness. It's what they do themselves that they believe creates their righteousness. And as Todd pointed out, that's not true righteousness, right? If it's self-righteousness, the only righteousness we can possibly get is the only one who is truly righteous, and that is God himself. And so the idea that you can sit there and do anything yourself and accomplish and say, well, you know, I'm going to, on balance, I was better today than I was yesterday, and because of that, then I'm saved is a delusion. And Todd pointed that out very, very clearly. If you remember, you know, he said something, and I wasn't here last week, but I did listen to the sermon online, and as I was preparing for this, one of the things, obviously, that I did is listen to what Todd talked about last week, and he gave an example Of this, When he talked about the Pharisees in Matthew and how they are white alabaster on the outside, but on the inside, it's just dust and crumbling bones. They look good, but on the inside, they are completely empty, and they're very far from God. And then the other example he used, which I really appreciated because it was one that I wanted to use, and he took it from me, so I can't use it this week, is the lady... The the lady who is accused of adultery. And actually, that was the last time that I spoke before the congregation on relationships between Jesus Christ and, and um, interactions with Christ, right? Those were the series that we did this summer, and I got the opportunity to talk about and to learn with you about the adulteress. And if you remember at the end of that encounter with Christ and the adulteress. At the end of that, when he says, is there no one left here to accuse you? And she says, no one, Lord. And he says, then neither do I. We talked about how she must have felt when she left. She stayed there when she didn't have to stay there. Everyone else had left. Remember, the accusers had gone, the people who were witnessing it. All of them had gone, but she stayed there before the Lord because she recognized that she was a sinner. Christ never said that what you did wasn't a sin and wasn't wrong. She recognized it that it was, and she stayed there because I like to think that she recognized that he was the only one who truly could and, in fact, had saved her that day. And as Todd pointed out, that particular group of those two that you're looking at, the Pharisees right there who were experts in the law, who had studied it, who could espouse it, who could cite you verse and chapter about the law, were further away from entering the kingdom of heaven and that adulteress. And why is that? Because she, unlike the Pharisees, recognized that she was a sinner. That but for God's grace, she's not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not anything that she did. In fact, she was had just sinned. That was the point of that story, right? She is closer to entering the kingdom of heaven because she realizes her true human nature and her desperate need for a savior. And the Pharisees, on the other hand, didn't have that recognition. We're actually going to talk more about that this morning. So let's look at our verses. And let's start. Now... verse 17, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God. Let's stop there for a minute. Paul, now for the first time in this letter, has said, now if you call yourself a Jew and if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship with God. So let's just stop there for a minute. And if you were... Either hearing this letter being read to you or reading this letter, and you are a Jew, up to this point in time, everything that Paul has said, you're probably going, yeah, that's right. Pagans, y'all don't know. Y'all don't know who the true God is. Y'all make up these figurines, and y'all sit there and have these animals that you worship. Y'all don't know God. you self-righteous. Y'all don't know God because y'all are Gentiles. Y'all are not, y'all are not like us. And that's part of the point of Todd, I mean part of the point of G, Je- I mean of Paul I'll get it right eventually. It's part of the point of Paul when he says here, "If you call yourself a Jew, what does it mean to be called a Jew? What does the term Jew" mean? It means praise to Jehovah. So it was a point of pride for the Jews to call themselves that. It is a point of pride to sit there and say that I am a Jew. And you know what? We're going to learn this too next week. There's, I mean, they we know this from our study. They were chosen. They are chosen by God. But we go on. And so he's got their attention because he's now calling them out in particular with this letter to the Roman Christians. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, that is, you're one who... Praise to Jehovah by who you are if you rely on the law. Now there I would say in in whatever you, also if you rely on or have possession of the law. Again, that would be something that to the Jews is something, a point of pride. That's what they were chosen and that's what they were given. They were actually given the law. They were chosen to do so, right? They were given the law. So yes, there they are. If you brag about your relationship to God, Is bragging about your relationship or boasting about your relationship to God in and of itself something that's bad? I know this can't be our Bible fellowship, so you really can't yell out the answers. I suppose we could do that. It would be easier for me, but um, the answer is no. It's not bad to do that, but so long as you do it for whom? God, right? Right? To boast about God in order to bring glory to God is one thing. But we're going to look at this. This is not really what's going on, right? This is not really what Paul is pointing out here. And we can talk more about that here in a minute. If you know his will and approve of what is superior because you're instructed by the law. He's hammering again and again. He's building them up. He's like, this is who you are, right? If you call yourself a Jew... If you know all of this, if you have been exposed to this, if you have the law in front of you, if you think all of this, and if you've been given the law, and you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in dark, which the Jews definitely thought that they, they were, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So up to this point in time in Paul's letter as he's talking to the Jews, they're going, okay, okay, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I am that. I have the law. We are. We're the Jews. We're the chosen ones. We have the law. It's been given to us. We've been charged with that. And yes, I've got it. Yes, I do think it's my job to sit there and be a light. It is what I'm supposed to do. Yes, I do think that I have am in a position to sit there and instruct others, those who are blind, the ones that you were just talking about, the pagans and the Gentiles that you were just talking about. Yep, that's us. We're good. And then as Paul, you know, he usually doesn't, He's. it's a setup for a reason, right? Because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Wait a minute. What are you talking about? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Wow. At this point in time, do you think that if you were a Jew that was reading this letter and you were hearing about all this, do you now get the real impression that this might have taken a turn in a direction you weren't expecting? (laughs) Maybe just a little bit. And do you think when they said, do you preach against stealing and yet do you steal? Do you preach against adultery and yet commit adultery? Let's go back to our lady who was accused of adultery. Remember who wasn't there? The guy, right? And do you also remember that she was, if you go back to that story, she was caught in the act. How do you get caught in the act and not bring the guy to? Did they know who it was? How did they know that this relationship was going on? Do you think that these Jews, that they're, and granted, this is Paul talking, and this is after this encounter with Jesus, but do you think that those Jews who are reading this said, oh, maybe not them alone, but maybe they knew somebody who did that. What about stealing? Do you steal? Do you think that there is something that might have been in the back of their minds when they said, do you, st- do you preach against stealing yet? Do you steal? No, I don't go out and rob somebody at gunpoint. What about your business transactions? What about your relationships with others? And this is going to be a key point when we go through this, right? What about who how you interact and what kind of example you are to others? Do you steal? Cuz what did the Jews think of the Gentiles at this point in time? They're described as what? Pigs? They were they were they weren't worthy. And that's going to come up, that's going to hit home more as we, as we talk about this. Do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among Gentiles because of you. Okay. If you're sitting here, and this is being told to you at this point in time, and you're a Jew, you've kind of got your hackles up. The hair on the back of your neck is rised, You probably aren't too happy about this. And you're kind of getting mad at Paul. In fact, of the matter is, Paul's a Jew, right? He's one that is talking to them as a fellow Jew in and of itself. Did they actually have, and were they actually supposed to be the ones who carried God's law? Yes. Were they the ones who were supposed to present this to the world, to all the nations? Yes. Have they been doing that? No. The whole idea is that they should have been going out and exposing this law to the Gentiles themselves and telling them this is what God's law says, this is who you need. What's the purpose of the law? What was the ultimate purpose of the law? It was to show the fact that we had to have a Savior. It wasn't meant to be this list of rules that we actually could ever adhere to. Yes, it's good in and of itself. That is true. Paul will say the law is good. But were you ever able to sit there and completely and fully obey the law? It was supposed to point you to your desperate need, to your sin and your desperate need for a Savior. That was the point of the law, and it had been lost. At this point in time. Right? It was gone. Bear with me as I flip back through my... You know, I went to the eye doctor here recently, and I really need bifocals. I turned 50 in July. And since I need bifocals, I actually... um, this has nothing to do with the lesson, just that me sitting there pulling up my glasses back and forth, and it helps calm me down a little bit because I'm looking at the clock and I'm going, I'm never going to get there, but so I'm going to cut through some things, but anyway, so I have to sit there and do this, I wear contacts, and then when I look down, I'm like, I can't see a thing, where is this, where am I supposed to be, and what am I doing? So please be patient with me as we go through this. When the ultimate point of Paul talking about the pagans, then the Gentiles, then the Jews, the ultimate point that he's going to try to make, and he's going to make with this, is that there is no one out there, even you super religious, who don't need a savior. We all fall short of the grace of God, and we all are in desperate need of a Savior. And he's trying to make that point even with the Jews. He says, when you boast about your relationship with God, what is that boasting supposed to look like? How is that supposed to be? When you brag about your relationship with God, what does that look like? Well, the Lord tells us very easily in Jeremiah that this is what the Lord says. Jeremiah Um, Chapter 9, verse 23. Let not the wise man boast about his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. The problem with the Jews at this point in time when they're bragging about their relationship with the Lord, they're not bragging about it for the Lord's sake. They're bragging about it because they say, I am part of the group that is special. Excuse me. West Texas, you can't have that second button undone. I am part of the special group of people that's been given the law, and we are special. And I'm just going to let you know that. By the way, I am a Jew. I am one who brings praise to Jehovah. So when you do that and you're talking to Gentiles out there, that is going to be something that you're like, I'm not interested in talking to Gentiles because I'm part of the special group. They have completely forgotten what the Lord wanted them to do with what they were entrusted It's very hypocritical on the part of the Jews to sit there and say, we're special, we have this. Nevertheless, that it was actually given them to by the Lord and they were instructed to sit there and bring it to the world. And, you know, that's another fascinating thing about the Lord. The fact that the Jews failed to do this, did it actually hinder the Lord's plan? No, he's still able to sit there and bring the Lord's message to the world, even when they were disobedient. He did it over and over and over again, and he's still doing it to this day. Paul goes on when he talks to the Jews, when he's talking to this group of people, and he's talking to the Jews, and he says, Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, even though you have the written code and circumcision and circumcision are the lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. This would have been very confusing for the Jews because at this point in time, they had to, that it was their belief that simply because you were a Jew and you had been circumcised, the physical act of circumcision would have been, and they were taught, would have been the basis for you getting into heaven. Just that mere fact of circumcision. We look look at that today, and we know, being who we are and what we study and what we believe, that seems ridiculous. But this is what this was a revolutionary idea that is actually being presented to them, revolutionary to them and to their ears, that just because you've been circumcised doesn't mean that you're actually going to go to heaven. The physical act of circumcision does not, is not the basis for that. Instead, it's what's in your heart, and it's what you're doing with it, right? And that actually is what was said by Moses, and they had just simply forgotten it. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, "...the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love Him with all your heart and with all your soul." And live. So when Paul is telling these Jews, hey, guess what? You who are circumcised, unless you actually have the law on your heart, you are worse off than those who are circumcised and yet are following the laws in their heart. Can you imagine how offended this would have been to those Jews? They would have just been beside themselves when they hear this. And think about where they are, too. This letter is written, it's called Romans for a reason. This is going to be in the presence of other Gentiles. And also think about that. Think about that audience if you're a Gentile. Do you think that if you had been exposed to Jews as a Gentile, that you had been, it had been put into your face over and over again, that we're the chosen ones, and we're special, and you aren't. My guess is it probably had been. So this is a really big slap to the Jews, but it's also something that they should have known. In Isaiah, it talks about this. It talks about how my name is going to be blasphemed because of your actions, who I have chosen to sit there and and given my law to. My name will be dishonored by you and your actions. It happens over and over again in the Old Testament. That this is something that the Jews have fallen for. And so when you read this, it's real easy, and I read it, and I go, hopefully you weren't like this, because I really wasn't like this either. But hopefully you didn't sit there and go, well, no big deal, I'm not a Jew. Right, This is a message given to the Jews. I'm a Gentile. Thank goodness I'm not one of those Jews out there that did this type of thing and acted this kind of way because we all know I would never do that. Again, y'all are getting to witness Matt Wade learning, right? It may not be a very pretty thing, but let's, look, let's go back to verse 17 and let me kind of paraphrase something. <clears throat> now, if you call yourself a Christian if you rely on your relationship with Jesus Christ through your church, if you study your Bible and you approve of what's in it, if you're convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in dark, an instructor, a teacher of infants, because you have the gospel, And the knowledge of truth, because it's God's holy word, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who preach against sinning against God, do you sin? Against God. So my hair on the back of my neck stood up. And I'm starting to sweat a little bit like I am right now. You who brag about your relationship with God. Do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. How many of y'all, first of all, I don't know about you, but when I read that and I throw in those things, I can come up with a whole bunch of things that then gives me pause if I'm looking in the mirror. But how many of y'all have ever witnessed or heard someone else who calls themselves a Christian And yet by their actions, you have your doubts. I'm an attorney, and one of the things that I, one of the one of the groups that I represent is I represent lots of elected officials, lots of bodies, governmental bodies, if you will, (coughs) who are made up of elected officials. And I can count numerous times where when I first meet an elected official, and this is sad, but when I When I first meet an elected official, they come up to me and they go, Matt, I just want you to know that I'm a Christian. Early on, when I was young, I would sit there and I would go, great, that's fantastic, I'm glad to hear that. And yet, almost without fail, every one of those who has come up to tell me beforehand that they were a Christian has basically been telling me that So don't worry about what I'm doing. Just trust me that my actions are okay and that they're good. And almost without fail, their actions don't follow them being a Christian. Not the way that I understand the gospel. So now it's actually the opposite, and it's quite sad that when I have an elected official who comes up and tells me what a good Christian that they are, I kind of mark in my book, all right, I've got to watch this guy. It's incredibly sad. It is incredibly sad because usually they've campaigned on it too. They've told the world what a good Christian that they are. And yet they're the ones, and I hate to say this, several of them have been indicted. And I was glad that they were because they were doing bad things. Now imagine how much damage is being done When he goes up and says what a good Christian I am, how much damage is that doing to someone who isn't a believer and who is sitting there looking to sit there and becoming a Christian? What Christianity is all about. Man, I'm glad I'm the best example out there of a Christian, and so everybody who watches me, they're going to think that's the way to go. That hurts. That really hurts. Slap me hard made me think a lot about me being up here this morning. I have failed and failed and failed. I wish I could do, scratch that, I need to do better. And I have plenty of examples around me of those who don't go to this church, but who I find out later actually are Christians. And it's because of what they do. And how they act. What a wonderful witness. And it's a witness for me. Let's read on. Let's let's stick with my little game here. Circumcision has value. Okay, I'm not going to go read back through circumcision and all the circumcision stuff again. The point that I want you to sit there and think about how that applies to us today is circumcision has value if remember that the Jews thought that circumcision was what was able to get that. Just the mere physical act of being a Jew who is circumcised was going to get them into heaven. Thank goodness we don't have any of those problems today either. Do we have anything? Does anybody in here, have you ever thought, if you're asked... What do you believe? And you say, I'm a Christian, and I'm. or they ask you this question, do you, are you going to go to heaven? Well, yes. Well, why are you going to go to heaven? Do you then start coming out with what you hear after that? What How you answer that question probably explains an awful lot about where your heart might be and what your beliefs are. If you start saying things like, well, I've been a member of the Baptist church for 35 years, or I sit there and pray every night, or... I've been baptized, or I took communion today at Melanie Park Church. You need to sit there and start looking back into your heart. Out Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to get in a whole lot of trouble with the elders. Do not get me wrong. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Is baptism good? Is communion good? Yes, yes, yes. But as Hud did such a wonderful job this morning when doing communion, what's the point of of communion? It's in remembrance of him, God, Jesus Christ, and what they've done for us. The ritual itself does nothing, right? Baptism. Is baptism good? Yes. We are commanded to sit there and publicly tell people and let people know We have accepted Christ as our Savior, but it's a public proclamation to do that. The physical act of baptism in and of itself doesn't save you. I think everybody, I hope, most people in here, this is all something, yeah, yeah, man, we understand all this. But if you think about then, what do you do? If you were a Jew or if you're a Christian, what do you do then? If these, if these events that we have, if we do this and we do that, if those in and of themselves don't save us, what do we do then to sit there and bring people to Christ? Because that's what we're commanded to do and not blaspheme them. Well, one, you have to remember what Paul says all right here. It's all about the heart. It's about Circumcision of the heart. Isn't it interesting that Paul keeps talking about this, and this has been a theme that has been coming over and over with me as I've, this whole summer, and this whole last fall, is a theme that keeps coming back about how personal the relationship is supposed to be between you and God, you and your Savior. If you Remember, Christ was by himself with the adulteress. Paul talks about the circumcision of the heart. Do you know what's in someone else's heart? Is there any way to sit there and determine what's in someone else's heart? Can I tell what's in Russell Thomason's heart? Sorry, Russell, you're nodding off over there, so I thought I'd call on you (laughs) and wake you up. Do you know? Yeah, fall asleep back there, and I'll call on you here in just a minute. (laughs) The answer is no. We don't know what's in anybody's heart. You can't tell what's in someone's heart. But just like those politicians that I sometimes deal with who come up to me and tell me what a great Christian that they are, and I find out shortly thereafter that, well, I don't want to cast stones, but perhaps you and I should sit there and talk about, sit down and we should talk about what it means to be a Christian. It's those that, whose actions sit there and belie where their heart really is. It's through your works. Now, what a, what a difficult passage to talk about. First, we talk about how it's not any type of physical acts that sits there and determine whether or not you're saved. And now we're talking about acts that you might do that are a reflection of the heart. The more I've studied this and the more I've thought about it, and in fact, it's said in that in Deuteronomy... That verse that I just read from Deuteronomy 30. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and all your soul and live. Does that sound like anything else you might have heard in the New Testament from Jesus Christ? What's the greatest commandment? you will love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And then what's second? You will love your neighbor as yourself. Sound familiar? Is it a coincidence that we're talking about back in Deuteronomy with Moses, that we're talking about circumcision of the heart, that there's a parallel with what the greatest commandment is? That's really a heart issue that we're talking about and a personal relationship? No, of course it's not. It is all about your personal relationship. So when you're asked and when you're thinking, okay, what makes me a good Christian? And if you start thinking to yourself, well, I go to church, I take communion today at Melanie Park, I've been baptized, if you start listing all the good things that you do from a ritual standpoint, then I would sit there and say, examine yourself, look in the mirror. None of those things are bad, not one of them at all. Please hear me say that, but examine why you're doing that. Examine why you sit down. Why do you have quiet time in the morning? Why do you sit there and put yourself into the Word? What are you ultimately trying to do? Well, ultimately you're trying to bring glory and honor to God. Do you tell other people how many times you have quiet time? Do you tell people how much you've studied in the Bible this week? Do you tell people... That you've been going to church? Do you tell people how much you give? Do you tell those things? What is that? If you're doing that, why are you doing that? What is the point? You know, there was a... When I was preparing for, actually, for a lesson in Colossians for our adult Bible fellowship, there was a written account of a Roman who was observing Christians in the early church. We're talking in the 2nd century... AD. And his comments were this, as he was watching these Christians. He goes, they interact with one another, and yet there seems to be very little disagreement. They talk with people who aren't Christians and who are walking out with them, and they treat them fairly. Their children seem to be happy. They're very content. They're not rebellious. And he goes on and on and on and on, describing how these people acted. He never mentions that they came up to him and interacted with him and said, I am this good Christian. You need to sit there and listen to me. He didn't do that. Instead, he just observed them. And as a result, if you read further in this historical document, he then converts over to Christianity because of the what I would call the silent witness of their lives. Now look. We are supposed to be witnesses and we are supposed to go out into, into this dark world and we are supposed to be a light. We are supposed to teach. We are supposed to be an example when we go out there. But the example that you want to give when you go out there, and imagine a world that needs it more than ever than ours here in the United States and more specifically here in Lubbock, Texas, than to have examples of what makes them different. You know, when you go back to the greatest command about love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, I'm convinced that if that's what you focus on and you bring in as a Christian, that's where you are, then the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, that'll just happen. You will love your neighbor as yourself when you realize the love that the Lord has given you that was so undeserved and the gift that was given you. If you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with God, what I want to take from you, if you're looking to become a Christian, please understand this. Please know there is not a list of rules that you're going to be able to follow. I need to go get baptized, I need to take communion, I need to do this that will make you a Christian. You cannot be circumcised. And because of your circumcision, enter heaven in and of itself. It is about your relationship. It is about your recognition that you are a sinner and that you are in desperate need of a Savior. And because of God's grace and His love, He has given you something that you don't deserve, you couldn't earn, and that you're going. That's the only way. If you are a Christian here today who have accepted Christ as your Savior, and who have that, and if your heart's been circumcised, then my question for you is this, are you following your heart? My oldest daughter asked if I was going to give an Apollo 13 um, example. Thank you for those who laugh, that means y'all have actually come back and heard me again when, I've, when it's been known that I was going to speak. But every, it seems like every time that I would speak, I'd give an Apollo 13 example. Uh, movie example, and I was like, no, I don't have one from Apollo 13, but then I thought of one from another movie. Uh-oh. How many of y'all seen Braveheart? For those of y'all who haven't, early on, it's about William Wallace, Scotland, early on, hates the English, rebellion, etc. But early on in the movie, William Wallace, when he's a boy, but old enough to understand what's going on, his father is killed by the English soldiers. And William Wallace has a dream, and in this dream he sees his father laying down with his wounds from the sword, and he turns to again, it's a dream. He turns to William and he says, "Your heart's been set free. Have the courage to follow it." As Christians who've had our hearts circumcised by accepting, that gracious gift of our Savior, we've been set free. The question is, as Christians, do you have the courage to follow what's inside your heart? That's what scares me because I need more courage. Let me pray for us, and then Brian's going to lead us in a song. Most dear Heavenly Father, I don't know, Lord, at times it's confusing to me why It's confusing, dear Lord, why such a wonderful gift was given to us, it was given to me, not deserving anything that's been provided, and yet you provided this gift, this gift of grace. And dear Lord, it's confusing me, as after receiving that gracious gift from you why it's difficult sometimes to follow why is it difficult for me to put my step forward and have that faith that faith that you've given us so many examples is more than worthy to follow dear Lord we live in a dark dark world and dear Lord we are to be that light to bring them to you dear Lord you loved us so much and the fact that we should recognize that love should make us want and desire to bring others to you so they can experience the same type of everlasting love that you've given and dear Lord there is not a time on this planet when that is not more important for us to be able to do it. And dear Lord, the amazing thing that you have shown to us is that it's done on a heart-by-heart, person-by-person manner. And it started with the personal relationship that you had with each one of us. Dear Lord, help each one of us go out there and Be that light. Be that example. Show others what you have done in our lives, how you've redeemed us. Let them be curious and let them desire to know you more because of what you've done in our lives. Thank you, dear Lord. It's in your Son, my Savior's name, that I pray. Amen.